Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Thank you, listening friends, for tuning in to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I welcome you on behalf of Elder David Wise, my partner in this ministerial effort, to declare the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to thank you as listeners, and I want to thank WLZA 96.1 FM for being the venue to host this broadcast. We hope that you'll decide to tune back in with us again Sunday by Sunday. It is our great privilege to do so. Now, we uh, want you to visit our churches. Churches in the area are Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, located at 11 Staten Road near Ackerman, Mississippi. In Maven, Mississippi, you'll find Clear Springs Primitive Baptist Church, located at 55 Tahoe Road, Maven, Mississippi. They meet every second and fourth Sunday. They're without a pastor right now, but they are blessed with a steady uh, pulpit supply of visiting brethren who are sound. And uh, we invite you to go and worship every second and fourth Sunday at 10.30 a.m. with Clear Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Mabin. And we also want you to visit us at 40283 Wolf Road in Caledonia, Mississippi. That's Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church. Our churches meet together every Wednesday evening uh, on the grounds of New Covenant Church. That's located at 200 West Garrard Road. That's G-A-R-R-A-R-D, West Garrard Road in Starkville. We meet at 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening, and we invite you to come and worship the Lord with us. Also go to our website, gospel-of-grace.com, and let us know that you're listening and take advantage of the resources offered there. Today we are continuing with a installment on a series of messages titled King Saul, A Cautionary Tale. And after this wonderful hymn, we'll be right back with today's message. Thank you for staying tuned with me here at the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. 
I'm Joe Nettles, and we're carrying on with the subject regarding King Saul in the Old Testament. We want to look at King Saul, a cautionary tale. By a cautionary tale, I mean it is lessons that we can glean from his errors that hopefully can help us as Christians, with caution, avoid those same pitfalls. Now, as I told you in the last message regarding this, our introductory message on this series regarding the life and the errors of King Saul, we tried to impress upon your mind how that King Saul is in heaven with God right now, having been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, everlastingly loved of God, born of the spirit of God, and his soul and spirit is in heaven right now. And at the judgment day, his body shall rise and be joined together with soul and spirit to forever be with the Lord in whole sanctification. Now, somebody may say, there's no way that can be, Brother Joe. No way. That was a man who behaved himself wickedly. Boy, he did some dastardly deeds. He dogged King David. King David, friends, who throughout his life is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ, our Lord, said he dogged him, chased him uh, over uh, rocks and rills and hills and dales and uh, tried to pierce him through with a javelin. And he was just a man full of pride and arrogance. I just don't see any way that this could be one loved of God. Well, friends, I again, I'll grant you, it's, it's a tough stretch for us because, my friends, we know that the greatest assurance and strength and power we have in knowing that we're a child of God is that we love God. We love the person of Jesus Christ and we desire righteousness and that we know not to believe that and to walk contrary to that does not give us assurance of that. So it's counterintuitive for us to even think about this. But friends, now remember though, we're not just looking at a man's life down at the Piggly Wiggly. We're not just examining a coworker's life at the bank or at the hospital. We're talking about, we have insight into this man's life while he lived and his eternal state given us in the word of God. The perfect, infallible, spirit-inspired and preserved word of almighty God. And we must believe what it says, amen? Uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. And believing the word of God, even though it runs contrary to our initial preconceived notions, that's part of walking by faith. And we need to strive to do that. We brought to your mind how that Samuel, when he was brought up, as it were, by the, quote, witch of Endor, although it was God who sent that soul and spirit to scare the witch at Endor and to rebuke King Saul for his madness, Samuel's spirit said at this same time tomorrow, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Well, who was the me under consideration? Was it the body of Samuel? No, the body of Samuel was dead and laying in a grave. It was the soul and spirit of Samuel. Now that's important because we know the soul and spirit of Samuel's not in hell. Uh, we know the soul and spirit of Jonathan, who was beloved of David, who was a good God-fearing man. He's not in hell. But yet Samuel grouped them all together, said, you and your sons will be with me. So obviously not in hell, obviously not just referring to their bodies being dead and in the grave because Samuel's body was in the grave that next day, but Saul's wasn't, his sons were not. Their bodies were dragged around Philistia, 
being shown and and in a depraved uh, parade of debauchery to try to ridicule the Israelites. It was days until their remains were interred in the earth. So Samuel wasn't saying your bodies are going to be like my body tomorrow. But my friends, he was saying that your soul and spirit will be in heaven with me tomorrow. In spite of all the wickednesses, in spite of all the arrogancy, in spite of all your malicious rantings, which all would not lead any of us to believe that someone is a child of God. In spite of all that, God's mercy prevails and the blood of Jesus washes clean even the most wretched blemish on the soul and spirit and the record of sinful man. Yes, sir, that's the Lord of grace. We brought to your mind how we sing the term, the, the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, friends, if grace isn't so powerful and overwhelming in its saving ability, that God's grace doesn't go farther than we go. It doesn't reach further than we could conceive. My friends, we're talking about the God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And should I be upset over the fact that he would show mercy unto Saul? No, my friends, I'm amazed that he showed mercy unto me. Unto Joe, a wretch like me, he showed mercy. I'm not going to despise the mercy that he has set and chosen to place upon any character, my friends, because it was God's good will to do so. Now, going to his word, we've seen how that, that certainly is the case. Now, you may say, well, I don't know. Some of you may agree with John Gill's take on this. If you remember last uh, message, I read from John Gill's commentary and regarding this situation of Samuel, his spirit speaking to Saul and saying, tomorrow thy and thy sons will be with me. John Gill's take was this, quote, if he would have it understood of him as representing Samuel and of their being with him in heaven, it must be a great stretch of charity to believe it true of Saul, so wicked a man and who died in the act of suicide. Though the Jews, some of them understand it in this sense, that his sins were pardoned and he was saved. All right, I read that for you last week, and I'll ask you the same question today that I asked you the last time I spoke with you on this. What stretch of charity? Those were the words John Gill used that he wrote. Stretch of charity. What stretch of charity? And by charity, we mean agape love. What stretch of charity should surprise us regarding the mercy of God? Friends, Again, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I rejoice, not only that I have a hope in Jesus Christ and that he'll take me up to be with him one day in the air, but I'm convinced that as we look around, as people that we've known in our earthly sojourn, and while here, our appraisal of their life would be, there's no way that they're a child of God, but yet we'll see them rise simply, not because of the life that they live, but because of the life that Jesus lived for them. Oh, friends, I rejoice in that. So today I want to look at some statements from the word of God that stress how faithful God is in saving his people in spite of themselves. All right. Very important. Now let's look at some God statements regarding his faithfulness to save. First, we go to Psalm 89. One of the most beautiful and concise expressions regarding the everlasting covenant. That's the covenant made between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit before the world ever began. 
that an innumerable number of the host of the elect of God would be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and be born again of his spirit. We read in Psalm 89, this Psalm of David. Again, this is a messianic Psalm. So David here, even though he is immediately referred to, is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the greater David. He's the ultimate end to whom this prophecy points. So we read in Psalms 89, we'll begin reading in verse 28. My mercy, now this is God speaking regarding the covenant that he's made with David. Again, you can insert Jesus Christ and get a purer view of what exactly we're referring to here, the covenant of grace by which all of God's people will be saved. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with them? No, my covenant shall stand fast with him. It means the only hope all of his people have is that my covenant stands with him. It stands with who he is, the work that he's done, the sinlessness of his character. See, friends, Noah's wife and sons and daughter-in-laws, they weren't saved on account of themselves. They were saved because of Noah. Lot, my friends, was saved out of Sodom and didn't suffer destruction that day, not because of him, but because God remembered Abraham. So friends, when it comes to eternal salvation, you're saved not because of a profession that you've made or a water through which you've gone in baptism, any good work that you've done, any amount of tithe or any statement that you've read, so-called inviting the Lord into your heart. If we go to heaven, my friends, it's because of the life that Jesus lived for us. His covenant shall stand fast with him. Now, someone may say, well, that doesn't sound like that strong of a statement. Hold on, buckle up. Let's continue to read. Verse 29, his seed also will I make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments. Wow, that doesn't sound good, does it? If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments. Wait a minute now, he's not describing good little church going people here. He's describing scallywags low-down bushwhacking sinners here. These are people that forsake the law of God. They don't walk in his judgments. They may break his statutes and they may not even keep his commandments. Now, somebody may say that that passel of people right there is going to bust hell wide open. Ah, but the word of God has a distinctly different end. He says, verse 32, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. In other words, he's going to give them a whooping but friends, my daddy never gave anybody else's kids a whipping. He only whipped me, his son. He only whipped my three sisters, his children, okay? He didn't yank up anybody else's and discipline them. Henceforth, my friends, over in Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us very plainly that if someone has received the chastening rod of the Lord, it means that he deals with them as sons and not as bastards who are without the Lord, the non-elect. Here, he's describing the children of God. I will visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Yes, I will chasten them for their rebellion. I will chasten them for the things they do contrary to me, their rebellions. Nevertheless, oh, I love the neverthelesses of the Bible. Nevertheless, in other words, he's saying, yes, I've painted a dire picture up to this point, but yet 
Nevertheless, in spite of all that, yes, I have described a scurrilous group of individuals who are doing things that they ought not do. Nevertheless, it means just disregard all of that. Nonetheless, you just cast that all aside because what I'm about to tell you now is the only thing that has import. He says, nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, not them, him. I'll tell you the them are going to be blessed because of him and the him is Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven. Selah. Oh, friends, such a strong statement of the saving fidelity of God for his people in spite of themselves. Look at Romans chapter eight. We're going to read verses 35 through 39. And I want you to notice, you can't walk away from reading this statement with a grace tendered heart without being overwhelmed at the saving faithfulness of God, that God is able to overlook. I say overlook. He only overlooks it in the sense that the blood of his son has washed it away. You see, God is able to overcome all of our wickednesses and sinfulnesses to his own praise and honor and glory. Because what he does is not just about us. First and foremost, it's about his own praise and honor and glory. So that's why he saves the people. Romans chapter eight, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In other words, he's saying, what? Red wall of China, of, of Russia, or China could be built. What bamboo curtain could ever come down to shield me and to take away the love I have for my children? None. He said, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Not through us that love him, but through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. When does the Bible tell me God began loving his people? Before the foundation of the world. Multiple places you could go and prove that. So he's persuaded that neither death, that means no situation of your death in which you could be found could undo what Christ has determined to do for you. I'll tell you, a lot of God's children, I believe, I can prove it from the scriptures, King Saul being one of them, died contrary to fellowship with God. But yet it does not destroy the relationship that God established to save them by the blood of his son. Neither death nor life. It means nothing you can do in your life. Boy, isn't that all encompassing. Nothing in your death, nothing in your life. No angel of whom Satan is a fallen angel. He has no power against you. No principalities, no powers. That means no power in all of the universe or in any terrestria of this world could undo what the Lord has done and purposed for his beloved redeemed. Nor powers, nor things present. Means nothing in effect or alive or in existence right now. Nor things to come, nothing that could ever come. And in fact, that also embraces nothing that ever has been, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. 
you and I are creatures, my friends. We can't even undo this. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the love of God is not in us loving Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at some of the examples using the word of God in closing here. Look at some of the examples God chose to use. And again, we're considering the life of Saul. Saul didn't live uh, uh, on the whole, certainly. If we weighed his life that we're able to see in the balance, oh, my friend, certainly it's become wanting. It was wanting. But again, that's all overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at some of the characters in the word of God that God has chosen in his inspired scripture to prove this point of his faithfulness and fidelity to saving the people whom he's loved before the foundation of the world. What about the overturned faith of professed Christians? I know some people think, well, if a Christian has ever walked away and said, it's just too hard, the way is too straight and narrow for me, then that obviously means they never could have been an elect child of God. No, what it means is you and I can't really feel emboldened that that's an elect child of God in the state they're presently in. But again, my friends, our perception does nothing to affect God's eternal truth. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. False teachers named Hymenaeus and Philetus had come among the believers and had overturned their faith, teaching that the resurrection was past already. But regarding these people, verse 19 is declared nevertheless. Oh, there's one of those neverthelesses. I just get so excited over them. I tell you, that's just a God who's going to have his way no matter what we say, no matter what we think, no matter what conclusions we come to, God is God and we are not. His ways are above our ways as high as the heavens are above the earth. What a God we have. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. See, the Lord knows the names that he's impressed on his children. And from our perspective, if we're going to claim that name, we must only claim it in departing from iniquity. So from our perspective, the only evidence that we can have that we are God's children is believing in him, trusting in him, loving in him, and walking in him. But friends, again, that does nothing to affect the faithfulness of God. God's perspective is all-seeing, all-knowing, and has never been shrouded or veiled. Look at another example. Israelites who died under judgment in the wilderness. Here, the apostle Paul writing to the uh, Hebrew brethren in his epistle in Hebrews chapter 3 but Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? There he's reiterating, if you want to know that you're part of that house, then this is what you must do. But one way or the other, Christ is going to be a son, a faithful son over his own house. And he goes on to uh, stress that in the next verses. Wherefore? And then he puts a parenthetical statement. Well, let's skip the parenthetical statement and read the statement and go back to the parenthetical statement. He says, wherefore, and then he picks back up in verse 12, take heed brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If you're hardened by sin, then it means you must have been softened, right? At one point in time. And here he's not addressing false professors. He's addressing these men as brethren. 
In the very first verse of this chapter, he addressed them as holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Friends, he's addressing these people as children of God. But yet, even though he said, wherefore take heed, notice now in the middle of this, he uses an example to refer to these believing children of God in the church. He said, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works four years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And then on the heels of that, he says, take heed, brethren. Friends, he said those things, and those things were accomplished in the Old Testament as lessons for us. He used those rebellious Israelites to prove his faithfulness to a people that don't deserve it. None of us do. Oh, friends, you can go to Romans chapter 11. What about using a cast of characters whom you would never judge to be God's children? You go in Romans chapter 11 and you're going to see the steadfastness of God's electing grace and he uses the days of Elijah. I say then hath God cast away his people, God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Walk ye not what the scripture saith of Elias or Elijah? how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Friends, I'm telling you, God's going to save his people, even if you're never ever to tell that they are his people. That's just what the Bible reiterates time after time using one cast of characters in uh, transgression to another. Now, this is not a popular doctrine. And if you speak this at your church or among your believing friends, you're going to find some staunch resistance to this. But yet, my friends, should we not believe the word of God and take comfort in it? Because friends, I take great comfort in this. I'm edified. Because if we've got a God who is so faithful that he would save a no good rotten bushwhacking sinner like King Saul to heaven and impute upon him all of the glories and the righteousnesses of his own son, then that gives a lot of hope to a low down bushwhacking sinner like Joe Nettles. And I hope and pray that you feel the same impression today. And you know who that honors and glorifies? It doesn't honor and glorify Joe. It doesn't honor and glorify King Saul. No, we have nothing to claim other than that prevailing, successful, sovereign grace of Almighty God. Oh, let's live in assurance today, but let's live assured that God is going to have his people in heaven. Until we're able to speak with you again next time on these wonderful subjects, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.
If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus.